Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Howard, how are you? I'm good, Knut. Wow, why the somber voice? It's cloudy, cold. I just feel it. Just feel it. I, got, I was on a bender last night. What did you do? I drank. You drank I last night? I never. And see, you're even surprised. That doesn't happen. Yeah, I was working late at the club, my we work. And um, so this is how small the world is. So I'm a member of a fancy dancy, treated myself, right? And at the club, the member below my name, if someone's looking for this person, they're going to see my name. And this person gets, you know, hit up all the time. So Howie Long, huh. football player, yeah. stud. I didn't know, even know he lived in Phoenix, but he lives up at, at, near my course. So Howie Long's a member. Who the fuck is above Howie Long? That would be Howard Lindsay. Yes. So Jim Payne, who's a great entrepreneur, founded MoPub, happened to be in town. And uh, he knew Howie Long was a member of this place. So he just wanted to know if he was around. So he had them look up Howie Long's name and he saw my name. He didn't know I was there. Huh. So now I got a DM from Jim and crew that they're upstairs having drinks. How cool. And uh, I should join him. Hence the headache today. Dude, I'm hurting. <laughs> <laughs> so they let you bring your own booze. This is a great place. Like, oh, I, it's such a great experience. But anyway. I can't wait to get invited over there. No, no, no. It's not good. You don't have a nice enough car. Oh, wait a minute. But anyways, we had a long night. And I just, good I'm hurting. You. Once in a while, you got to reset that heart. Then I had like pizza. It's a, right now. it's a towering inferno right now in my body. <laughs> I mean, Tom just inhaled. Like, and he only had a piece. I had three. So it's been a rough day in the other room. Have you noticed the flushing? I have actually. There's a lot of activity. I turned the fan on a couple yeah, of times. It's a two roll day. I know. By the way, we're running low. So do we have a guest? Yes, we do. Okay. We have a guest. So we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Is it a good guest? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Douglas Bonaparte. Napoleon? Don't That's his know. Nickname. So we, I want to talk about Mark. I'm in the mood because it is a rageram. Here, we, we are turning the page onto a new year. Been one hell of a year. Holy smokes. We've had COVID scares internally. We've had death and destruction around us. We've got a new, maybe almost president who's 700 years old. We have a, uh, I think a black vice president. We have uh, a child still in the White House. We have... <laughs> And can you, it sounds like you made a purchase. Are we allowed to talk about it? Um, I made a purchase, yeah. I'm, Are we allowed I, to I, talk I, about it? Does your wife know? Yeah, she does. Oh, well, see, you're, yeah. you're 10 steps ahead of me. Yeah. The, uh, you're more you're, evolved. <laughs> I got a couple of things I can tell your wife. I tell you yeah. what, you have, <laughs> yes. There's a lot of people that could tell her a lot of things. But you know what? No one will believe them because my life is boring. There's nothing going on in my life. Except people tweet at me because they see my name above Howie Long. <laughs> so I'm sure Howie Long's not checking out Jim Payne's at the club. Probably not. Yeah. Anyway. Well, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. So, so you, so you have the nicest car of any podcast producer in the world. That's pretty cool. Um, I. You love cars, do you not? 
I do love you cars. You really get excited to me, about it's, the dumbest it's thing important. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's dumb, but it's you like it's going fun. fast. It's fun. A lot like, of fun. What, do you, what is it about a car? What is it? Just how it feels? Like what is it? You just like the tech? I don't know. Maybe it makes me feel more manly. I'm not sure. Could be. Okay. Well, there you have it. Canute has a new car. It's pretty. Thank Good you. Good choice. So let's. Uh, do I have anybody to thank? No. Oh, but like I said, the markets. Just I'm having fun talking about them, and it's just like woohoo. In that vein, I wanted to bring on a friend who is funny, funny guy. Only met him a few times. Just phenomenal millennial hair, gelled all the time. And uh, I think he said he's approaching 40. He's really good on Twitter. He doesn't really talk about stocks or anything, but he's just funny. He's a financial advisor. And he says he caters to high-earning millennials, of which I say, there, uh, prove me there is one. And <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So he's really hurting. I don't think his marketing is that good. But maybe it is good. So we're going to bring him on right now and talk about that. All right. Sounds good. Doug, Liss. What up? <laughs> it's like Smartless, which is a great podcast, Doug Liss. Smartless with Douglas Bonaparte? No, Smartless with, um, oh, I have so many senior moments. It's with uh, the guy who did Ozarks. Bateman. And then his two best friends, one guy, really funny people. Anyways, He's very funny. And they have great on guests. This? They had Ricky Gervais on, on the other day. Yeah, he was. I heard it wasn't that good, but he's a great actor and really he was a child actor. Anyway, it's a great podcast because they got great guests. They have all their friends. They're just bored during COVID and they're having all their friends on and they're just regular dudes who have a lot of money and have been in movies since they were like three. So, Doug Les, tell me who these high earning millennials are. Are they there? And is that a marketing? Is that a true the true marketing strategy of bona fide wealth? Yeah, you got it. Bona fide wealth. Got it. It didn't didn't start out that way, you know throw all the jokes you want at it. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and maybe seven, eight years ago when like that word millennial was just coming around. It's like, that's what I'm going to go after. And I got laughed at for that pretty much. Um, rightfully so. It's like, how, how could you build a wealth management firm around people who don't have money <laughs> or wealth? Mm-hmm. And the idea was, well, they will someday. And like, if I can get in early, if I can really like learn how to figure out where the talent was and who was going to like blow up, then, you know, early access would, would get me far if I could play that long game. And now we're like approaching 40. <laughs> we're like starting mid, you know, the early innings of mid-career high earning potential. And it's just one of those long games I played that that paid off. And where were you first? Did you, when did you get interested in the financial world and business? So I'm, I'm a second generation financial planner. I There's no such thing. My father started oh, father. my father started like 36 years ago with, with American express IDS. It was uh, IDS yeah. and then American express and then Ameriprise and so on and so forth. And it was like his fourth career. And I just watched him do this. And then eventually he realized I was becoming a real like slacker in college. And he was very fearful. <laughs> of so you're yeah, saying the true path, because this could be something for my son. The true path to being a financial advisor is just being a fuck up. That's right, hard. You were, I mean to say, was I correct? There was potential to really fuck up. It, it was there. And I think his, you know, neurotic fear of his son becoming a failure and, you know, that being, that being a pretty, <laughs> he didn't want to tell his friends that, like it would have been a bad mark on him. So out of that fear, he brought me into the business. He huh. kind of got me ramped up. But you can't and just come into the business. Like Max 
has been like oh. doing some spam work at StockTwits from his bed, probably vaping <laughs> Tinder and a lot of blocking it, people on StockTwits. It's now been like five, six months, right? He's, I mean, he's, a lot of it was bribery. It's like straight up bribery. Like, hey, would you like to go to Minneapolis on a free trip to go, you know, learn about the company, you know, then IDS American Express. And I was like, yeah, you're a freshman in college. You're like, what? Free trip to, you know, go chill in a city. I'll do that. And then you saw like what the trap was. You came home and there was a series seven manual on your bed. Oh and it's like, see if you can, yeah, but see if you can knock this out. <laughs> and it's like, I've been duped. It's a tough test. Like, I don't know. I had to take it again recently. Not the seven sixty five. I think that's harder, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah, 65 yeah, was, was all rules and laws and everything started looking the same. And what's a fiduciary? And I'm a fiduciary. Uh, and wouldn't you like to be a fiduciary too? And uh, I just put C. And somehow uh, there was a lot of C's yeah. on my uh, computer program that I just, I squeaked by with a 70.7 or something. And, and it same. literally didn't say congrats. It just said, phew. Yeah. And there was like a sweat emoji coming off my computer screen. So you get that. So when did you actually get interested in the market or was it just the idea that you can make a living and be a slacker? I think what really got me into it was it, it matched up with a lot of like natural skills that I had. Like, yeah, there's, there's selling that I've always liked. And, you know, instead of selling products, you were selling yourself and products and whether it was stocks or funds or a life insurance policy, I mean, you're putting it all out there. You're like trying to get people to trust you. It was like a big validation thing. Like if they, if they took your advice, if they bought what you were selling, you're like, I'm good at this. Like I'm the man. It was, it's just always a good feeling. Hmm. And your wife's in the business with you. No, actually. I she, knew that. She, was a trick question. <laughs> she is uh, general counsel at a Fortune 500 company. I knew that. Right, right. She's the attorney. She's keeping me safe. And she made those. Did you? Did she really make those shoes with a, a marker, the Nike shoes? Yeah. You guys are, she, first of all, you're scratch. funny. You're funny, funny guy. So, and, and I say you. that because I don't like having people I don't know on the show. And fuck, man. We the met, last three days I've been one, laughing. Uh, Who? We met one time. No, I know, but I don't know. I was avoiding you. Yeah. I mean, you had good hair. I avoid people in the setting that have good hair. Then I get contextually, so Howard's hair looks thin. So I generally <laughs> hang around bald people at events, which at a financial <laughs> advisor event is like, uh, choose and pick them. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> Rarely <laughs> at a financial event, do people, oh, Howard's hair is thinning. No, people say, whoa, Howard, you lose weight. You can blend, you can blend in there. At, yeah, at financial events, I go, Howard, you look spray. So... um I meet you, you're super talented. I think Josh Brown kind of was the first person to kind of start mentioning your name. And then I meet you and I'm like, fuck dude, tweet for tweet. Cause I try and be funny, but I got other shit to, to promote and, and do. I'm, I'm balancing trying to be funny all the time with being an ass right. and, and a shameless <laughs> they go promoter. Hand, they go hand in hand. I know. Yeah. Good point. But you managed to just be funny. So is it something that comes to you? Or is it something that you have paper and like a hat on and a pencil and you just like a lot of the little yellow rolled up pieces of paper in the back? So you get the perfect tweet or do you delete stuff? Just be honest. How does it work? Yeah. So I think 75% of it is all natural. Like the best ones are always in the moment. I know, right? Something. You read something that it triggers it or is it yep. just a clear out of the head fart? No, no, no. You do it long enough. You, you can kind of feel and read momentum of, of trends or news or you know there's going to be a joke about something. And obviously we're talking about investments and stocks most of the time and things like that. So you can really get your finger on the pulse of it. And then it's 
either sticking it to a particular format that you know works or a play on words or a dad joke. I mean, you, you kind of create like an arsenal of ways you can play a particular topic and then, you know, you, you put it out there and yeah, look, things get deleted. Like you can have a bad day. I, and I, I do. Yeah. And so I'm okay. Good hair saying people that. delete shit. Right. So if you think about a comedian going to a club and testing out their material and, you know, if you're in New York, you can, go to some great comedy clubs. If you get a real stinker of a joke, you're never, ever, ever going to hear a comedian say that again. And the only people that would ever know about that joke are like, what, the 40 people at Comedy Cellar? Hmm. And it's just a bad joke. Like, it's not an inflammatory joke. Okay, I fully accept that. Well, you know, I just don't want to put awful, non-good jokes out in the world. Like, goodbye. I'm not going to tell it again. I've learned that that didn't work. Good point. What is the hit rate? How much are you deleting? One out of two? No, no. It's actually quite small. Right. And okay. It, one out of a hundred? One out of 15 to 20. Okay. That's fair. You're, you're taking risk. And what do you do to the three people that have liked them? Do you apologize later? No, I'm kidding. Nobody cares. So no, a, few, a few people call me out on it frequently and that's cool. I, I get it. And what do you like most about being a financial advisor? That I get to do it my way that I have all the tools and the technology is so good and we can market in so many dynamic ways that I don't need to conform to a pretty like old industry that's been around and, you know, like do it this way. Like, no. Who do you, (laughs) who do you clear through? NFS and soon to be NFS as well as Schwab. So we'll have a multi-custodian platform. So Schwab, TD, Ameritrade. What is NFS? I don't know. Charlie on our end uses TD Ameritrade. National Financial Services. Fidelity. And... When did you go out on your own? When did you uh, stab your dad in the back? (laughs) Early, early on. (laughs) In 2008, I stabbed him in the back. And that's when I left Boca Raton. Dad, look over there. And then you ran with this book from Boca. Where did you run with it to? (laughs) I left with no clients, student loan debt, and a car. I had a return to CarMax. Oh, that's a sad, sad life. Four boxes shipped to an apartment and a random Craigslist roommate to New York City. Was it a fight with your dad? Or you just said, dad, I'm going to take my one client and here I go. It's like Steve Martin at the end of the jerk. I need this lampshade and <laughs> this paddle ball. Was, there was a fight. There, there was a, oh. there was a knockdown drag out screaming match. I can, we'll never Frank forget. Frank Bonaparte. What's his name? <laughs> Andrew. And it was Andrew. And we're Something done. Like so there was screaming. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't work with my dad. I haven't talked to my dad in 28 years, it's but that's tough. another podcast. When I go into the therapy side of my podcast. Woof. Yeah, no, we were heading down that road. I mean, right. I would argue the best thing that happened to our relationship was me no longer working with him. Okay. So, so you, your friend. Yeah. Oh ah, yeah. Fabulous. Took a while. And are you beating him this year? Your portfolio, <laughs> is your clients beating? <laughs> Just kidding. The, uh, oh, man. <laughs> So what do millennials want? I'm jumping all over the place because this is just fun to chat. What what do millennials yeah. want? To be left alone. and Totally, you know, right? Like they yeah. will open it on their time. Yeah. yeah. They're busy. Fucking busy. Like, again, older millennials. Like everyone thinks what a millennial. What is a millennial? Like, so who is, what is a millennial? What age? Yeah, you're going from like early 20s until very late 30s. We're like hitting 40. So by the way, might as well be two totally different people. Like a 24-year-old and yeah. a 36-year-old are just in completely two different places in life. I, I probably, you know, I have clients in their mid-young 20s and they're, I think they're a little more like mature and sophisticated because they're clients and they've done very well for themselves. But 
generally speaking, these are two totally different people. You have people that, you know, in non-COVID times just want to go drink beers and go to the club on the weekend. And then on the older segment, you got, you know, two, three kids under six and, you know, you're chasing them around and trying to figure out what activities to drive them to. So sure. two totally different things here. Sure. And um, I'm older, I'm 36. So I'm, I'm really playing in this older end where we've gotten through a lot of, you know, milestones, buying homes, starting families, like the big cash drawdowns to go do a lot of that stuff. And now we're into like real wealth accumulation. So like, it's good. Like all the money is ahead of them and they're already making a ton when you're thinking about, you know, white collar professionals in the New York City area, lawyers, bankers, entrepreneurs, private equity folk. I mean, there's big bucks. And what are the tools? Because I, I obviously, I don't know if you follow me, but what are the tools? Do you use any of the tools that I like? I don't know. So what do you I use? I don't know what you like. What do you use to manage day-to-day life? John P. Financial Advisor, Esquire. In, in my life or in yeah, the Yeah, like you wake up and you're like, I don't know if oh. you like the markets or not. Is it like Y charts? Is it Koi Fin? Is it uh, just QD use... products? Is it no? I, I keep it simple. Yes, Y charts is cool. Koi Fin is cool. I use both of those to look at you know models I'm constructing or any kind of data set I want when I really want to like you know get grimy with it. Morningstar Advisor Workstation is pretty cool to mm. put some portfolios together. Like having all these tools is good. I'm pretty look. You know, you do this for 18 years. You've been playing. Oh, with Oh, you're doing it 18 years. Yeah, next year will be like 18, since 19, I'm 36. Seven, like literally, I think that's the most unique thing about me as an advisor. I'm 36 and I've I've had a license or have been in the profession legitimately for 17, 18 years. I love it. And did you like it the whole time? Yeah, surprisingly, to my own surprise. I've I wish enjoyed. I knew what I liked when I was 19. This is awesome. So, so that's luck, but that's luck though. Like so again, did you drop just, out of college? No. You finished college? Went to business school as well. Where? Stern, NYU. Stern sounds like DeVry. Don't people just say NYU? <laughs> Is that like a special I, school for like, you know, trying, I know I guess, Stern. I'm trying to sound polished <laughs> here. Come on. Hey. Stern. It, 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 was, it was the part-time Howard program. Howard Stern right? has a business school? Yeah, that would be a really cool business. That explains be, your tweets. So I would pay to go to that business school. Double what I paid. What has, so today, what was it like at 19? What were we using? Like a quote? Isn't it amazing how the, how the industry, I don't even know what it would be like being a financial advisor. There'd be so much wool. You'd be wearing a lot of wool and there'd be like a lot of three ring binders, <laughs> right? A lot of three ring binders with like sheets. That's funny. It's funny like you say that. Value line sheets. And yeah. Like no, 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 paper no. Paper cuts. You're not, you're not far off. I, I, I mean, was that guy. I was, again, you grow up in the business and you were like, my dad paid me $0 on the weekend to go to his office and put consolidated statements print out from like dot matrix printers in a three ring binder yeah. and bulletins from the company. Yeah. Like early, early like, computer. Dude, just like we're talking Windows like, 3. Point, well, like nine, Windows 95 came out and it was a game changer. Yeah, like, Dell hit the 200-day moving average on uh, Yahoo Finance. So you, so your dad gave you orders. You would go learn about But did the markets interest you? I was learning more about running a business hmm. and creating financial plans than I was following the markets. So you initially. were doing the behind-the-scenes work for your dad. You were like uh, chief of staff. Yeah, I was a glorified staff person doing everything I could get my hands on. Like I was touching every part of the business. And I think I think that's like again where where the competitive advantage came from. Like I became a businessman. I love it. And so what would you have done if your dad hadn't pushed you? 
oh my God, at a degree in public relations, I would be working for Boca Raton magazine. <laughs> and Let me just tell you this and for couches, these orange couches would be great. I, I would have networked my way to success in like a PR role and I would have made, you know, a fraction of, yeah. of what I, you know, can make today. And I try and like convince myself that would have been a fine life. And no, it, no, no, no. I mean, my wife would go like, we'd be at home tonight. My wife would be on million dollar listings in Boca and she'd go, Oh, I love Doug Bonaparte. Thank God he became an agent. So that, <laughs> it would have it, it been something like, it definitely would have been something like that, but yeah. you know, I wouldn't have my, my wife and family and Heather and I go all the way back to freshman year of college. So there's a lot of like personal key story components to this that, you know, so she went to right, law school while you were uh, grinding it out door to door, selling bonds, <laughs> selling variable universal life insurance. Oh. What's and, the worst product your dad ever had you fling? I mean, it's the VAs with like, it's the VAs and VULs. Um, you know, they'll always get shit on and rightfully so by and large, but he, he, he was good. Like I, I respect him as a planner. I respect him as an advisor. Um, and as a businessman, like he always had a real, he's a very smart guy, like extremely polished, very smart, extremely an engineer by trade, like hmm. very super analytical of which I am, I am somewhat an analytical, not nowhere near that prowess that he has nowhere near that. And has he replaced you like with an iPhone or a person or anything? <laughs> Has my father, <laughs> am I a piece of technology? Yeah. He actually, so my parents got divorced four and yeah. a half years ago after like 36 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. My mom is still in Florida. My dad's in the Pennsylvania area. So he's actually like closer than any other family member in my life outside of my immediate family. So I've gotten and, the same. And, and what's that like? I mean, when parents stay together that long, it's never good. <laughs> I mean, my wife is an only child product of divorce at the real traumatizing phase. You right. know, like you're 13. But what's like worse? Right after, right after her bot mitzvah. Mm -hmm. I would say that's worse. It has huh. to be worse because you're not mature. You're confused. I mean, you don't even know yourself. But I'd say this. Everyone says, well, at least you were an adult. Like we just had our first daughter and my parents get divorced. I'm like, well, at least you're mature enough to understand. I'm just like, you know what? It still fucking sucks. Like, it, it really calls into question a lot of like the foundational structures around relationships and marriage that you've maybe built your life around. Like that construct just got completely blown. And to who, who got the variable annuities in the divorce? <laughs> I don't know. I, you I can have the, them. I haven't read can the quadro. Where are you with the, I'm, I'm giving gold here. He's teeing me up. Uh, we never get guests teeing me up. Mostly they're right. talking about their wins. <laughs> and so... No, but really, what I the, meant who got was... Who non-traded REITs is the question. That's funny. No, I'm just wondering how miserable they are. And I know this makes it hard because now you can't share the podcast with them, but I just I have some hard-hitting <laughs> questions here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're so yeah, happy. Not gonna, this is going to be a great marketing piece for my business, and it's gotten out of hand here. It's all about Howard. So, like, how tough was that for them is what I meant. I mean, it's tough for anyone. No, but I mean, I mean do they talk? No. Yeah, see, that's hard really airing them out here, but that's okay. Yeah. I don't think they do. Yeah. And like when Knut and I break, I, I'll never talk to Knut again. Yeah. We're done. Likewise. Okay. It's, it's over. <laughs> it's, when it's over with Knut, it's fucking over. <laughs> <laughs>
the parallels are crazy because my wife, again, you know, her, her parents divorced for 16 plus years and they're both at the Thanksgiving, you know, holiday nice. dinner table with the grandkids. And it's super, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's super nice. And they're getting along. That's it's fabulous. Taking, but it's okay. You know what? They're happy. I mean, they know they get to I go guess. home and they don't have to stare at the, each other. I guess that's the sad part. I'm really, really opening up here. I guess that's the sad part is how like grandkids brought them together to the table. And here I was having my first child, their first, my parents' first grandkid. And like, that was not enough to, get, to keep them together and, and give it a, give it the good old college try into year 37 or whatever. And what's the appropriate age that you will have your kids prepare a financial plan for one of your clients? Cause the millennials even read them. Couldn't your son just prepare one tonight for me? I mean, my daughters are five and 20 months. One, you know. So you're saying they're overqualified. They're overqualified to work in finance. The, so you have to focus. The business is not about watching the markets. So the business is about being a marketing and talking to people, correct? Setting expectations and marketing. And so what does marketing look like? Because this is really what I want to talk about. Are you a one man band? One man band, one staff, one one on payroll. One on payroll. And um, what does a day look like? Well, COVID days are very point, different. But, uh, what's, yeah, what's a day look like today in terms of communication? Yeah. The thing I like the most is how lean the practice is. And again, technology, you, know, you point to technology to figure out why that is. There's not a piece of paper in the practice. Everyone's young and tech enabled, you know, communications free flowing and easy and and you can you can reach anyone any way and they can reach you any way there's there's no restrictions here everything's transparent access is abundant they can always get a hold of you setting up barriers is not really an issue like no one's they no, like no one's texting you or calling you at 3 a.m like we don't even have clients like who the hell is doing that like what can i do for you at that <laughs> hour like it's just not happening and i just think that's the beauty of my specific practice that's why i built this thing i came to new york in 08 like lehman collapsed when i got off the plane at jfk the next two years were shit like it was nothing but pre-retirees and, and retirees calling the practice that I was working in my first, like my first advisor gig in New York city. And, and they were losing their minds all the time that went out the window. You couldn't even grow. You couldn't grow. And I, I, that's what I learned the most from 0809 mm-hmm. is like, if this shit happens again, while I'm like, you know, growing a, hopefully a decent book of business or a decent practice of my own, my biggest fear was if shit hits the fan, I don't want to stop growing. You have to grow. Like there's, there's my dad in the back of my mind. If you're not growing, you're dying. Mm-hmm. Like shit. Some truth to that. And so you're saying that it, the fact that I email my advisor at 3 a.m. looking for Ambien is, <laughs> is you wouldn't hire me. That is part I mean, of the job. There, That's what gets you the extra quarter point. There's a fee to justify that. Yeah, that gets the extra quarter point. The extra 100%. 25 beeps. So... Why does it people's fascination with beeps? Why can't we just talk about fees and explain it in English? Why can't people just talk about fees and just not be <laughs> like like it's a thing? Like you're providing value. Here's and the what millennials, I for it. is that the first thing they bring up or the last thing they bring up? They hardly talk about it. Interesting. And so how do you introduce it? You have to explain it. Complete and total transparency around it. The second you sound like you're masking something or you know, being opaque, 
you're going to lose. You just need to know that about the demographic. Put it out there. Be ridiculously objective and transparent in everything you do and say, and you'll never go wrong. And they appreciate it. And so what does marketing look like? I so I keep changing the subject again, but what, how do you um, get lead? How, how do you uh, get the Glengarry leads? So we're always closing because there's a huge mainstream media and just overall financial media presence that builds out, you know, credibility. And I knew that was going to be uh, a problem I had to solve when you're starting out in your teens and twenties. Like who the hell is going to trust you with anything? You're, you're 24. Shut up. Really? You better come up with some credibility here. And that's where ironically the PR degree came in handy. Like I knew how to communicate with press. I knew how to build out those types of systems. And when you're in New York city, your local news is everyone's national news, like getting lines and, and, and framing things like you're an authority in the media with big media outlets. I was able to do that. And it snowballed. And also like first mover advantage. Like I was one of the few people out there, like really being like, I'm a financial advisor for millennials. Like that was hot shit eight years ago. You can't do that today. So I like gobbled up all that market share from a marketing standpoint. And I ran full speed ahead with that. And that's why arguably I'm, I'm trying to be, and if not successful at being all over the place, there's like 500 different media hits, television, podcasts, quotes, every publication over the last four years, over 500 hits. And then you Does realize- this count as a hit? I don't like to be used- this is a hit. I'm trying to take it away from being a hit by talking about divorce and everything else. So it's not a hit. No, no, I'm going to SEO the shit out of this <laughs> right here. I'm being SEO'd, Canute. You got SEO'd. That was the big thing though. Like you, you connect those dots. All right, I'm doing all this third party content. All right, I now need to do first party content. I need to write blog posts, create videos, do a podcast. You have to do this stuff. You can't stop. The algorithms will, will punch you in the face if you stop. Mm, the treadmill, and, the Peloton of SEO. Yeah, the hedonistic treadmill of SEO. And once you realize you're winning keywords and you dive into that world and you realize how powerful internet marketing is. And growing up, you know, again, privileged to always be imbued with technology and have a computer. And my brother and I ran like a computer consulting firm when we were, you know, in high school and basically helped senior citizens connect to AOL and click their mouse for $30 an hour. It was so lucrative. If you're going to win one keyword as a financial advisor, what would it be? Financial. I mean, it's financial advisor and the location you're in. That's huh. the holy grail. Financial so, advisor in New York. Like if you're first page Google on that, you're going to, you're going to get some traffic. I own B-I-L-K USA. <laughs> Is that good for a financial <laughs> advisor? You search Bilk. It's just, just a big picture of me and a Speedo. The, uh, let me see who, let me see who's searching that. It says here two people a year search that. Those are big. Those are whales. We call them only each uh, one. Yeah. Cause they're like, you better get one. You only got two cracks. People you don't mind get, being turned. They just want the Howard Bilk experience. They want full bilk. We went full bilk. So is there a Gen Z version of you? Is it smart yes. to hire the next Douglas? I don't know who it is specifically. Who's like holding that position down. And I'll hire them. Right? So like, when, like I'm in on that. If you're listening, yeah. holler at me. Like, I want you. I got the model. Yeah, we'll, you we'll have the model. It. I love the model. I'm like, I wish, some, I wish my dad took some time off from bilking, getting me all my SEO juice, yeah. and said, son, you should be a financial advisor. Maybe. 
because it's such a good business. It's a really good business. And it's like maturing or it's morphing into something that it is not today. Right. No wait. wool, no pencils, no printing, no paper. It's just a brain. Yeah. It's just technology. communication. And, and so what, what do they want these millennials? They don't want insurance. They don't want stuff. They want their time back. They want time mm-hmm. to do anything. That's not probably what you're providing. <laughs> right. They want time to go do things they actually enjoy and they want to feel in control. And they've become masters at outsourcing. Like there's an abundance of services um, that they can get, you know, thank you, internets. Like we're tech enabled. We, we can find stuff we need. We want it. And, and by the way, we want to know what we're paying for. No, but do they like cash? Do they like equity? Is it like, are they like 90 tens? Are they like, what are you seeing in high earning millennials? That's a great question because I don't think it's all that different fundamentally from what most investors want relative to their risk appetite driven mostly by their age. But the thing about millennials is the stigma that's, you know, now it's twofold that came out of 08, 09. And now with 2020, the big thing here is they got smacked in the face in 2008 and nine and kind of pushed back from where they thought they would be like, go to college, get this education, you'll get a good job and you'll be on you'll be on your way to pursuing the American dream. You'll get your house and have your family. I don't think that's really changed across the board, like for any generation in America. It's pretty hardwired into us. But, you know, the whole thing blows up. You're now a bag holder of student loan debt, or you couldn't get started in that career path you thought you were going to get. You know, it's scary as hell. So that all translates into like, can I get enough cash just to sleep well at night and know I can cover shit? If things get wild again, okay, I'm going to have to suck it up and realize I'm pushed back two, three, maybe five years in pursuing some of those like cliche American, you know, pie shit goals. And that has literally shaped an entire generation from a financial perspective. So this myth that, yeah, I hate it. Millennials are afraid to invest in equities. That's bullshit. Right. Find me, like if you've been putting money, even if you didn't do anything to select the funds in your 401k, assuming your employer provides one, you're in, you're in a target date fund, like 2050, 60, whatever, like you're 90 to hundred percent equities. So bullshit. If anything through like Robin hood or free trading today, what we're seeing out of uh, gen Y or millennials and gen Z, I mean, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing, you know, YOLO plays. Yeah. The, millennials the, aren't YOLOing on Reddit. It's just uh, Gen Y and Z. I mean, are is Gen X and Boomer the demographic of Wall Street bets right now or stock twits? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Probably not. So this notion that we're like not investing, in, we're not buying bonds. I'll tell you that much. I don't I you think, think that's just, just the fucking big one? That is just a catastrophe somewhere. I mean, no millennial or Gen Z is going to buy a bond. I'll buy a software no. company. They'll just say, oh, I'll take 6% from the slow grower, but I'm not taking a fucking bond. I think they go 80-20 to have that 20% bond sleeve to buy dips with. That's my take on it. Like you're 80-20. Bonds are not having a bad year, by the way. Right? Dude, they never have a bad year. It's fixed. I don't know. It's like, can't even understand <laughs> it. I'm 55 years old. I don't know what the fuck can't explain it. I, of course I can, but I just, yeah. 
but the ag's up 6% in 2020 or something like that. Hmm. So like if you had 20, per, if you're a young, aggressive investor and you're 80, 20, like you didn't get burned by bonds. It's not dragging. You did in March. It was way, a scary March. Scary March. But, you know, e- equities were far scarier. And depending on your mentality and position in life, if you were 80, 20, you had fodder to buy the dip. Like if you can muster the courage, you could rotate 10 to 20. What do you care? You got 20, 30 in your retirement account. You got, you got time on your side. And how did the millennials behave in March? Did they even call you or did they notice? They did not call. A good advisor would have been proactive and said, all right, let me set the table for you here. We're down 33%. It's March 21st. I'm sure some of you, I mean, some people called, obviously. The, the, the best and brightest ones were like, what do we do? There's opportunity out there. You're like, yeah, there is. Awesome. You know, otherwise you need to get out. You know, we have a hundred households in the practice. You have to educate. You have to show your value here. This is the moment. Hey guys, number one, don't do something stupid and sell at the bottom or a perceived bottom. Number two, if you can handle that, let's talk about going 90, 10 or hundred percent at the very least. Are you okay with being a little more risk on in your long-term money? All right. And for those of you who are ready to really step up, let's take a look at the cash you got, if you have it, because we're big proponents of having robust cash reserves. That's the 0809 effect that I've brought into like wealth management. It's like, I always want to be flush with cash. I don't care if, if it's a negative return, you know, in real terms, I don't care if it's negative, like nine to 12 month cash reserve. None of, none of this three to six month stuff. I want people sleeping well at night, feeling secure because I know when that dip comes around, you need to have the courage. It, it, that's the psychology play right there. You got to have the courage to be like, yeah, I'm going to take some cash. I'm going to buy this dip. Good you. Yeah. And I'm going to have, I'm still going to have six to nine months of cash. I'm going to drop 20, 30 K into this market right now. And I could get fired tomorrow and I'm good for nine months at current lifestyle. I could probably stretch that out 12 to 18. Now, did you fire anybody in March? Fire any clients? Yeah. No. No one misbehaved. Nobody, nobody. Okay. I mean, you can count on one hand. No, No, of course not. But you can count on one hand. I I fired people. One. One. No, no, no one got fired, but one one misbehavior and and they owned it. Only 1%, huh? Yeah. 1% misbehavior. Younger or older? Little older for the the main you know target demo here. Little older, but if there's anyone who could have you know whiffed at the ball there, it, it would have been this person. And so they you would have predicted it. that person. So if I come to you today, I know Actually, I can go have, through all I would my. Not have I, predi- can, I would not have predicted it. Huh? So I'm saying I know. So that's why I try and make their lives miserable before the crash, so they fire mm-hmm. me before I can fire them. But you're, right. so you're saying you didn't know. And Mario, if you'd looked at your book and said, oh, I fired that guy. I didn't see that coming. So you didn't see that coming. But there was, there was some people that surprised you the other way. I think there was a good purge in 2019 of people that weren't going to make it. I think I've gotten so, you know, pat on the back. What here. happened in 2019? Nothing happened in 2019. I'm being very, very micro about like my book of business and like who I knew would not be sticking around long-term for reasons outside of like a 2020 event or a drought. Yeah. Yeah. Always be pruning. I mean, it's a great, listen, people are like stocks. Got a garden. I agree with that. But at my stage of growth, I think you can let the pruning, you know, be self pruning. When you take on a client, I mean, again, 17 years, you're like, you, you bring someone on board and you're thinking about like really how good of a fit they are. 
and you're like, they're here for life. This is going to work out really, really well. Only one time in my career where I thought I had a really big client long-term, like I'm going to be with them for life and like out of left field, like I'm going elsewhere. I was like, holy shit. That was a humbling experience. But also nowhere near in segment of like the demo I'm trying to serve. So I guess that kind of counteracts that in a way. But now when a new client comes in the door, you have a really good idea of what the longevity is going to be, really just based on personality. And do you like talking about the markets? Yeah, I love it. I love tweeting about it, talking about it. And ironically, like it's it's the vast minority of what I do on a day-to-day. I think that's the irony. It is the irony, right? I'm the only idiot talking about it. No, it's not true. It's exciting. And 2020 is a really, really good example of how I think the trend now and this is a really cool thing to talk about, you know, the, the, the Robin Hoodification, the access that people now have to the capital markets. Um, 2020 is just such a unique environment for the, you know, for, for, for propagating like the opportunity portfolio. And where do you see that? I mean, we can argue tiers or not tiers, good or bad. What's your overall take on how the markets are behaving and how people are behaving? Okay, so two questions there. Let's go with the latter first. How people are behaving. FOMO is real, like the fear of missing out. Thank God there's like really hasn't been a water cooler for people to like physically get together to, you know, in the office. Freaking out. Holy shit. That idiot's up 62%. You'd be like, I mean, there'd be a lot of extra FOMO. Good point. There'd be people like I bought Tesla, you know, pre-split at X and I'm crushing it. And they think they're like, you know, Warren Buffett of investing because, you know, they picked the hot one and that would just, you know, go parabolic in terms of people opening up accounts on platforms and wanting to buy shit left and right. Um, but that, that still exists. It's just, I think it's quite muted from what it actually could have been. It's true. If the office was still going, there'd be like, Holy there'd be a stock shit. market episode, right? Who the, would be the guy trading well, in the office? I kind of think it would, well, it would have everyone, to be the boss. Everyone would. No, but it would like, have to be the boss. He'd be getting his ass kicked in options. What's his name? I, uh, think, I think the bosses would be getting slayed because they want to, they see the younger people in the office crushing it. And yeah. I think that, you know, I think it would just be an amplification be great of what's happening right now. Right. Like everyone feels invincible. You can't lose. Like if you're a first time investor in March, like you have a really perverted view of the market. <laughs> yeah. You just like, fucking man, I, why would I do? I, I literally was got my caddy and I don't have caddy. Some friend had I a tweeted, My caddy was, had stock yeah. puts on their fucking phone. They had like That's awesome. three pages of financial apps. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it made me so nervous, but I was so proud of the guy because it wasn't like stupid. You've been doing it. So so that's the thing. That's the thing I love. I love. So what I love as like your, you know, classic, well-disciplined, let's promote financial literacy and education. Because you have to understand, you know, you pull all the humor back. you, You pull everything we've been talking about back. I'm a big, big promoter of just leaving this planet more financially educated than when I found it. Like put the jokes aside, this is like no joking matter. Like people need to know this shit because it will make them happier. It will make them better. It'll make them more productive. It will do all those positive things. And the thing I like about, you know, people getting involved here, specific, look, you know, something to be said about trading, but the interest is there. Like, I like that. I like that people are getting interested in finance, even if it's through the lens of trading, but 
you still have to acknowledge the, the, the darker side of that or the other side of that coin, which is access, unparalleled access today, and the hype and the fun and, and the, the gamification or gambleification of it is met with, well, what happens when there's that kind of access without real fundamentals or real knowledge? And it creates this dichotomy of, okay, that's super cool. We're getting people interested in finance, but it can be dangerous, can be very, very dangerous. And there was a really sad, albeit extreme example, you know, in the middle of the summer, I believe, of, of that, that poor kid who, who killed, yeah, you know, who yeah, committed yeah, suicide. No, no, no. I mean, it was a uh, humbling yeah. reminder yeah. that it's not a toy. It's not. And, and again, extreme. I totally get that. So while there's this huge opportunity for good actors to pounce on what's happening here and make sure people are informed and building foundations so they can go have fun and invest, like, okay, so let's bring it to practice. Like, I've become very big on, for the clients who want to do this, the water cooler type stuff, they want to carve out five, maybe 10% of their core portfolio to be opportunistic. I've learned so much from allowing, I mean, not allowing, but, you know, kind of giving my blessing on doing that. Number one, like they're buying FANG stocks, <laughs> you know, they're buying Apple and Microsoft and Tesla and the big names and stuff like that. And they're not blowing themselves up. They're generating, you know, if it's March till now, they're generating alpha to go along with their risk-adjusted portfolio. Very boring stuff. And, and where, yeah, no, 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 it's fabulous. So where would private fit in? Why are not more younger financial? It's up to you to say if you really want alpha and you really want to educate people. Yeah. How come no one's asking for access? They will. So they haven't. They haven't. I think right now. I think now, that's an opportunity access, for you. I couldn't agree more. You, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up. This gets into, and I, I, I kind of hinted at it earlier, like the building out of a multi-custodial platform. So like going, becoming my own RIA a little more than a year ago, one of the big reasons to do that was to be able to provide that kind of access. Like my network's getting to a point where I'm catch, like, I know you, I know people, and that access is going to be there. And I needed to build out a way to provide that for, you know, I, and again, money ahead of my clients. Like now their accounts are getting into the millions and you can carve out a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars into their first. Well, if you LP don't, they're going to do it themselves. You're going to be a dinosaur quickly because. A hundred percent, hundred percent. But by the way, if you're catering to, you know, a high earning, high net worth demo, that is a must. That is a must. That is a differentiator. Aren't yeah, high earning millennials need, bringing you the ideas because they work at a software company? That is such a good comment, Howard, because I get 50, you know, right now, at least today, Doug, my friend is doing X or starting X. I need you to help me run due diligence on this. What do you think? They are blown away when they get permission to, you know, when, when you're like, I think this looks good. And they're like, I thought your job was to tell me no at every corner. It's just like, you got a million dollar, you know, investable net worth and you, you, you know, you're getting early access into something for 15K. Like you really can't, you really can't have a risk budget for that. Mm -hmm. Get out of here. Get out of here. That, that, that becomes like a no brainer. And, you know, it's not going to blow them up. They're like, they'll tell you, I know it could go to zero. Okay. So let's, let's take a look at it. It's not about risk. And, and that's such a value generator. 
Mm-hmm. You, what, what you've done right there for your relationship with your client is the most valuable thing you could have possibly done. Like you've justified your fee for the next half a decade. Yeah. Well, you're the, uh, the way I see the investment advisor business is the financial advisors are going to come out of the private markets into the public markets. Like the big ones are going to be doing all this trust building in the, in the private world. And then they're just going to give you yeah. the 60, 40 portfolio in a, um, well, SPAC, you know, the SPAC world is going to kick that whole door down. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm part of it all. It's fun to watch. I'm glad that uh, you're positioned well. It seems like uh, you enjoy your job, so that it's awesome. I mean, I, I, I like to hear it. Lucky. Lean, lean financial business. Do you have any questions for, for me? This is a big thrill for you. So is there, do you have any questions for me? <laughs> you, what are you huge thrill. Finally made it on your podcast yeah. after... If they could only see my groveling and begging. <laughs> no one sees my DMs. I doxed myself right there. What, uh, you have a question for Howie? Yeah. All right, one. What's the biggest demographic shift you see taking place? I guess specifically in, you know, an investment lens. What's the biggest demographic shift you see taking place over the next like 10 to 20 years? Oh, I don't study it. I mean, do you mean people getting older? Just like flow of money allocation. Well, the flow of money seems to be but going. Where, the, where are those dollars going to go when like there's intergenerational wealth transfer? Like, do you believe in the whole intergenerational wealth transfer, you know, and, and it just opening the door to. Yeah. Like I mean, said, I've had to do public, it. You know, I had a public to private. I've been adulting. I had to like do a clat or whatever you call them, a slat. Grats and, grats and gruts. I did grats a slat where you can, you know, estate planning. Flat. I had to literally power through. A month Slivers. of this. Yeah. I had to power through. Ooh, how do you keep it from the government legally? It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's like a 12 round fight with like a white mm. collar guy and a pen. How many lawyers were it's involved? Expensive. I don't know. Yes. My Ellen's smart. She handled it all. I mean, there's laws uh-huh. and you, you, you work within the laws. So I think the, so yeah, the money's coming down. My big thesis, you know, in starting a compound with Charlie um, is that you can run a lean financial business. I think what Charlie and I found the most is people do want risk at all, at all levels. They want to pick things. They want to be led. You know, I'm a very high cash person myself. I don't care if I'm being, yeah. I don't care about no, like, I like hear, I like eating the that. S&P 500. That's not, kids don't care about that. They just want to do things the way they want to do things. They're not like beating an index isn't, I don't think the thing anymore. So I think no, once that cat's out of the bag, which is a good cat to get mm-hmm. out of the bag, like, well, who came up with these numbers and these algorithms? It's just like, what does it take to live and how much is enough? And how do I give some away and how do I live a, uh, a, a good life? So knowing all that, the, the reason I love the business is because you just, you just try and make a few bucks. You try and do smart things. And I try not to think about percents. I just try and think about the pie growing. And so I think this demographic is more like that because they've been gamified, right? They are just looking for the pie to grow. And once the game, once you're in the tip jar game, and once you're in the, you know, the old people, you know, were filling jars with quarters. So I think this generation, whether it's in the digital generation, when you can see your, you know, when you open up Robin account or your Wealthfront account or whatever account you're going to open, uh, mm-hmm. the first thing you see is like, bam, my number. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the balance. And so I think it's about getting the balance higher. And I don't think it's about percentages. It's about like, okay, what's it going to take? So, so I'm pretty bullish. Like the biggest demographic shift is going to be, all right, well, I don't, if I don't understand it, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. 
And so if I understand these 12 companies and I'm comfortable with the, with, with the risks that I'm taking with them, I'll own 12 companies. I don't even own the S&P. I don't even know what that means. What does that 12% mean to me in your right. stupid chart? You know what I See, mean? I want to be involved. So I think that big demographic shift is just more rolling up the sleeves and right or wrong, you know, more people actively being in their portfolio. I'd be absolutely thrilled to know that people's attention are going to the ends, the goals, the, you know, am I being happy? Am I able to get to, you know, what it is I want to do? Then did I beat a benchmark or did I get X percent of my portfolio? Like that, that's the planner's dream there. And I think there's a distinct difference between, you know, what the planner's aim for is versus like just the pure investment advisor, or, you know, a portfolio manager or something like that. All right. Well, I'm glad uh, you found the time. The, uh, the legend lives. Did I own up to it? No one knows. Just, you know, uh, keep paying it forward, being nice to people. Oh, well, Just you were nice to me. All we are is a podcast in the wind. What do you think about that? I like it. We're digital dust in the wind. It's nothing Thank you but for having me. You're welcome. You're a talented young man. It's kind of you to say. Yeah. And uh, this Andrew guy sounds like an interesting cat. He's good. He's good. He's and, funny. And um, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, man. All you right. too. See you on the tweets. Bye-bye. K-Nut. Yes. It's hard. It's, it's a lonely business being a financial advisor. I wouldn't know. Well, you have one. <laughs> you got Charlie. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if it's lonely. No, I mean, like, you know, there's nothing fancy about the business. Just relationship business. Right. Funny kid. The, um, if you're a young person and you're confused, there's so many solo entrepreneur opportunities out there. And if you have any sales skill or any kind of interest in the markets, boy, I think it's going to be a huge trend, financial advisors. So I'm friends with a lot of financial advisors. I'm picking their brains. It's kind of like a non-sexy, direct-to-consumer business. And uh, I'm fascinated by it. So, uh, nice to see a young man uh, doing it. It's a very lean operation. Kind of like us at the podcast studio. Yep. So, uh, you are listening to Panic with Friends, where I chat with entrepreneurs like Douglas and traders, founders, investors, venture capitalists, trying to figure out where the markets are going and how to make a buck, fair and honest way. Uh, you can go to Apple's podcast app or Spotify, search my name, Howard Lindzen, or Panic with Friends. Subscribe. We do two of these a week. If you really like me, you can go to howardlindzen.com and get my free newsletter every day. Sign up. And thanks, Knute. Thanks, Stock Twits, for distributing. And we will be back with another episode soon.